This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and at night here on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Good to be with you on the end of the first semi-week of of 2024. Good to be with you today. Matt Patrick here today in the 4 o'clock hour. Rick Smith going to join us, and then uh, Michael Broadcorp going to join us as well. Patrick, how are we today? Uh, doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm. I am realizing that as we complain as a society about the cost of things, the reality is some things are dirt freaking cheaper than they used to be. What I mean by that is I was uh, at the, I went to Target today, not a sponsor of the show. Uh, Went to Target today and just walking, you know, kind of around the store, all of a sudden I come past 70 inch, 70 inch TVs for 500 bucks. Well, that's a steal. Now it, it, well, it is a steal, but the thing which is crazy is I remember when people were talking like, Oh gosh, when you have to buy one of these things, they're four or $5,000, man, go get a Costco membership. And then you can kind of get it like that. If you want an example of something that is plummeted in price, it's big screen TVs. Now we can also talk about the the fact that the, pretty much the entire manufacturing base of that is moved overseas, and they're probably making it with less than stellar, you know, equipment. You know, not the top of the line product as as it used to be. But at the same time, I had a friend who bought a seventy inch TV fifteen years ago. It was like thirty five. He he was talking about how what a great deal it was. It was thirty five hundred dollars. Now. We'll, we'll give you a free one at checkout. Well, not necessarily. But, I mean, it, it, it is remarkable. And, by the way, those were not – I'm, I'm not going to say what brand they were because I'm really not getting paid by anyone. But they were not bad TVs. Those were some decent options as far as – especially the ones with, that have all the different options for all the streaming services and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Nice TVs. I remember calculators. You don't even know this. You are such, you are such a zygote calculators man in the 1970s to even get a crappy calculator was like 10 bucks back then which was like what 40 today a cruddy calculator an absolutely cruddy one was like 10 bucks now they give them to you when you open up a checking account or or and of course phone calls phone calls were the one that real one where like i said you go to a Go to your old cabin or something like that, and you find an old Life magazine or a National Geographic, and call Grandma, talk for five minutes, and it will only cost you twelve bucks. You know that sort of thing. Everybody can say hi once a year. You know, there goes Jimmy's college fund. 
And then now nowadays, it's when was the last time I was concerned about a long the cost of a long distance phone call? Heck, I I I video call Ireland over the holidays, which you know it's like oh yeah we just got to serve and went just how you guys doing over there? Good to see you. It is it's remarkable. TVs for better or for worse, they are you know that's one thing that people get more bang for the buck with that's for sure. Than they used to. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, were you ever a fan of David Soul? He's probably, speaking of the 70s, he's probably out of your window too. But did, were you ever a fan of Starsky, Hutch from Starsky and Hutch? I knew him. He was uh, an alien in one episode of the original series of Star Trek. That's how I know him. But was he? I did not realize Yeah, he it. was in the Apple. Was he? Wow. Nicely done. Good reference. I'm going to give you even a better one because I, I well, first of all, he was in um, the best Dirty Harry movie, Magnum Force. You ever see that one? I did not know. That, that's a good one. That's worth watching. Magnum Force is, is not a bad film. Uh, he was there. But I will say, I think his crowning achievement was not Starsky and Hutch, nor was it uh, his his... Don't get what was don't give up on me, baby. The song from the 1970s, which was a top hit. I mean, it was a big one. Uh, no, his I think his his the greatest thing he ever did was Salem's Lot, which was it wasn't a movie. It was a TV miniseries. I think it was a two part TV miniseries. It might even be the first. Was it the first Stephen? I, mean, I bet Carrie had come out before that. I bet Carrie had come out before that. But it was a TV miniseries. It, needless to say, it's one of the first adaptions of a Stephen King story, and if you, it, it is a fantastic story. If you want to read a good book, Salem's Lot's a, a, a good read. They did that book incredible justice. That movie, still today, pound for pound, is scary as hell. Seriously, and David Soul's fantastic in it. The whole cast is fantastic in it. And I highly recommend it. The guy from, oh gosh, the guy that played uh, the vampires, it, it's vampires. Uh, you know, because it's Stephen King. It's going to be one, you know, werewolves, vampires, aliens, it's vampires. Um, the guy that plays his henchman was also in The Verdict. He played the lawyer in The Verdict, and I can't remember. And I think he got nominated for an Oscar for that. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Anyway, fantastic. Go see, go. If you can find Salem's Lot, the ni- not the not the remake they did, the original one from the 1970s. Yeah, do not watch that with the lights off. <laughs> do not watch that with the lights off. It is it that holds up. That movie holds up. Yeah, and that's 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 a tough one. Uh, David Soul, best known for his role in the 1970s television series Starsky and Hutch, has died. His wife announced a statement on CNN. He was 80 years old. David Soul, beloved husband, father, grandfather, and brother, died yesterday. On January 4th, after a valiant battle for life in the loving company of family, his wife, Helen Snell, wrote, he shared many extraordinary gifts with the world, actor, singer, storyteller, creative artist, the dear friend. His smile, laughter, and passion for life will be remembered uh, by the many of those he's touched. No cause of death was shared. The One of the things I was reminded of, he was in a play in London, and I don't know which one it was, but I believe he was in a play in London, and... He sued a tabloid over there for uh, the the tabloid said it was the worst musical they'd ever seen. Funny story: the guy that wrote that article never saw the musical, 
Never saw the play or musical. I don't know which one it was. And he successfully sued that journalist uh, for defamation, I think it was, because he, you know, he called it the worst ever, and, but never himself went to it. So that's why, and that was, that was what, 10, 20 years ago, 20, 20 years, plus, 20, maybe a little bit longer. But that's, yeah, David Soul. Oh, kind of sad. Kind of sad. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. By the way, get one of those 70-inch TVs, watch Salem's Lot on that, and never sleep again. Never sleep again. Have you seen the original Salem's Lot? I'm not. I'm not really a horror guy. Yeah, don't watch it then. <laughs> you are not going to like that film. That film, yeah. The jump scares in that are off the charts. The vampire's the scariest one since Nosferatu, hands down. Holy God. Um, one other quick note that has nothing to do with anything, but I wanted to mention this. Uh, Leslie Fema, you know, uh, we're, we of course, up here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. She gets a lot of press up here because she's from Minnesota. This is the runner-up to The Golden Bachelor. Did you ever watch, Patrick, The Golden Bachelor? I heard about it. I did not watch it. Neither did I. She left the Golden Bachelor brokenhearted after star uh, Jerry Turner, or is it Gary Turner? J G E R R Y Turner gave his final. Like I said, I didn't watch it. Uh, gave his final rose to another woman, Teresa Nist. As then last week, FEMA landed in the hospital with a uh, <laughs> a required surgery. It was a bowel blockage. Nice to have everyone know about that. But hey, thanks a lot. Awareness. We all know now. Uh, despite all that, she did attend the Golden Couple's wedding on Thursday night, which was televised live on ABC. At our age, we have to celebrate love, FEMA told fellow contestant Kathy Swartz during an interview as guests arrive. I was very good friends with Teresa. I'm so happy for her and Gary. I really am, Jerry. I really am. And I'm here by the end of the day. I support the love in any way. All right. FEMA was Turner's runner-up in the first uh, hit first season of The Golden Bachelor, which featured daters in their 60s and 70s rather than their 20s and 30s. The longtime fitness instructor and former professional figure skater was now known for her dance moves and dating prints. I, I'm, I'm Quick side note in this story. I am waiting for what I think is eventually going to happen. You know, the, the, you know, the zaddy, the, the golden zaddy or something like that, where it's going to be a 60, 70 year old guy and it's going to be uh, a bunch of, of, of 20 and 30 year old girls. And then, of, or the, then it'll be the, the bachelor will be a, a 60, 70 year old woman and a bunch of 20, 30 year old. You know, that's coming. It's only Fox. I'm surprised Fox hasn't greenlit this already just by the mention on me saying it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm shocked by that. But you know something like that is coming, especially with the popularity of The Golden Bachelor. Here's the, the question I have. Uh, really? Um, I get it. I, I'm going to guess, and it sounds like FEMA is going to be the first ever Golden Bachelorette. It sounds like it. I don't, I don't know these things. I don't read in touch or us. Maybe I should. I don't. I, I mean, sure, when I go get my hair done, uh, you know, every once in a while, just while I'm waiting. But I, um, I don't really read those the, the, those periodicals. I kind of pay attention to politics and stuff like this. I'm I think she's going to be the Golden Bachelorette. That, that's at least how they kind of done it in the past, where the runner up goes and becomes the the next Bachelor or Bachelorette. Um, the 
would you really have them at your wedding? I, I, I know ABC is doing this and wants it there, but would you really want the runner-up to a a reality show, especially, and I, I did do a minor bit of research on this subject after the fact, and it sounds like indeed um, many people around this guy, this this Jerry guy, a lot of people did not like that he cho- the person he chose and wanted to cho- choose FEMA. Would you really want, if I was the couple getting married, I don't know if I'd want the runner-up to the contest to be there. It, 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 it I no. It would be like having your regular wedding and then having your your spouse's ex. You know, yeah, that they were seriously considering marrying at the wedding. No, I, I, I that doesn't sound like a really good foundation for the new relationship. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm approved. Well, I, I can tell you right now. I'm not going to probably be the, the, you know, spoiler alert, the bachelor or golden bachelor or zaddy bachelor. I'm not going to be that anytime soon for many reasons for, oh God, we could get, we could get volumes on reason why I'm not going to be there. But that being said, I, I, no, I wouldn't, even if it was a TV reality show, I'm pretty sure I would have at least a little bit of standards to say, eh, no, let's uh, make sure we you don't throw out the welcome mat too quick there. All right. Uh, how about we get into some politics when we do come back? It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on your Friday. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. Good to be with you today. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So I want to talk a little bit about particularly Nikki Haley. And last night um, in the CNN debate. Now, the main thing I want to make sure we, 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 we establish from the beginning, from the get-go, is that... This is supposedly the moderate Republican choice. This is for for all you moderate Republicans out there, you know, we don't have to go with the extreme. We have to go with Nikki Haley. There are two specific things she's done that that just, yeah, I don't think you could consider her moderate in any capacity. Now, the first one has to do with the this is the one that really exposes how far to the right this went, that this this party has gone, how far the Republicans have moved. Because once again, this is Nikki Haley. This is supposed to be the moderate, the 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 the, the compromise candidate, you know, one of these things. I mean, I guess Chris Christie would probably be the real moderate candidate out there, but she's the one that you, you I'm not the extremist like DeSantis and Trump. I am more moderate. Quote, I knew half of South Carolinans saw the Confederate flag as a heritage and tradition. My job wasn't to judge either side. That is the way we have to work on issues that try to divide us. The leader doesn't decide who's right. What? 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 Wait, what? What? Okay. This is the moderate looking at the Confederate flag and basically saying, I don't want to judge. 
the Confederate flag. Now, let, let me make sure we you know get something out here really quick. Uh, the Confederate flag that we see, the stars and bars, the the one that was painted on the General Lee and the Dukes of Hazard, that wasn't the actual flag of the, the Confederacy during the Civil War, but was kind of adopted after the Civil War as kind of a wink and a nudge. I'll put it put it in a different way. I, I've talked before about I spent my ninth grade year in high school in Georgia, in rural Georgia. Boy, was that an eye opener! And I remember. Uh, back in the early 80s, going past the, one of the trophy cases, and there was the picture of the football team there. And the, the football team, a whole bunch of the white guys were holding up the, what is the what we now know as the white power OK sign. And now I am a big white guy. So I asked another white guy, I was like, what, what's up with this? And he, he said, oh, that's that's white power. And he, this is back in the 80s, by the way, or in the early 80s. Oh, that's white power. That's You see the W and the P, that's that's white power. It's a signal to, to do this, and they did this in the photo. And he says the great part, and this is, you know, this guy was a bit of a racist too, apparently. He said the great part about it is if anybody gets upset, you can just say, I was doing the okay sign. And so it was. it's clear, I mean, this was back in the early 80s. That was a prevalent part of racist culture. It was there. Kind of the same premises there. It's it's this isn't the Confederate flag. This is a flag about history. But the flag was basically embraced by the racists and the people that felt that slavery should be reinstituted in the United States. And you really can separate yourself from that. Now, if you are in the fine state of Illinois or Indiana or in Wisconsin or in Minnesota. I should let you know, the Confederate flag, the Confederates killed a heck of a lot of citizens in your state. Brave men and women who fought to keep the United States of America together were attacked by the radical South who murdered a heck of a lot of American troops, including troops from Illinois and Indiana and from Wisconsin and from Minnesota. And I have often talked about on my radio show up here in the Twin Cities about the first Minnesota at Gettysburg, who saved the day. And it was an abs- they, 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 their unit got almost wiped out, but they still held the field and won their flags. And by the way, Alabama, you can't have your flags back. They're ours now. Yeah. So the Confederate flag is it, it's a symbol of people who... Like it's about heritage. It's only about heritage when someone says, "Why are you flying the Confederate flag?" When they're not flying the, it's not they're not being asked about why they're flying the Confederate flag. They'll tell you straight up. It's about letting the black people know exactly where I stand. They'll tell you that. They told me that all the time in the South when I lived down there for a little bit of time. And you go to the South right now. If you're a white person and you're around white people, they'll tell you right to your face. Yeah. It's, it has nothing to do with heritage. It's about basically telling the black community where you stand. That is, that is <laughs> Nikki Haley. Now, once again, and she's, this is, she's not stupid about this. She came from South Carolina. And trust me, once you get away from the coast in South Carolina, it's the South. I mean, it is the South South. I don't, I don't, you don't decide who's right. Would you say that, Nikki, about the, the Nazi flag? Nikki, would you, would you say that about the ISIS flag? Because basically those people as well attack the United States. And I don't think there's another side of it. You want to sit there and act as if, well, 
this is about Southern tradition and Southern culture. No, no, no. You know, if you want to do that, do some, you know, some Southern food, you know, do some, do some biscuits and gravy or some fried chicken or fried fish or, you know, you know, you know, pick your, pick your delicious Southern mac and cheese, mac and cheese, put that on a flag. That's Southern tradition right there. <laughs> don't, don't try to sit there and try to act like there's a nuance here. And that's what she's trying to do. Once again, the moderate version of the Republican Party is telling us, hey, those people on the side that were pro-Confederacy, they is it right place to tell them you're, they're wrong? Yes, yes it is. And the thing which is sad about this with Nikki Haley is she actually did stand up for this. She actually did stand up and say the Confederate flag needs to go away because after that that psychopath shot up that church and murdered a whole bunch of people, you see all these pictures of them with the Confederate flag and people looked at the South Carolina flag. It's like, what the heck is that up there? And they changed it. And by the way, once again, if you're looking for absolutely gorgeous state flags, South Carolina is one of the best. Absolutely blue with the palmetto tree and the, the crescent. It's just fantastic. Absolutely a fantastic flag. They changed it for the better because they realized the other flag was wrong. And she was at the front of that. So for her today to try to act as if, hey, racist, don't get mad at me. It's not my job to tell you you're wrong for being racist. Well, then let me freaking do it. You're wrong for being racist. Hey, you want to, you in the silence of your own heart and your own house, whatever. But don't be flying that stuff around let we all can see it. You know what? Stop it. Do better. <laughs> to, to quote a Michael Jordan meme, <laughs> get some help. Do better. <laughs> there you go. Stop it. No, you, you, you can't. It, it, this is, once again, she is, with this having to pander to the far-right extremist nutbag, far-right, loonball, extremist right, which these people have to do in these primaries, it is bizarre to see her torpedo any chance she has that if she does get out of this, she's not going to be able to get past a lot of this stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Good to be with you today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Go to the phone lines. Mary Joyce is in Hopkins. Welcome on in, Mary Joyce. Hi, Matt. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to um, comment. I've got two dogs in the car. I'm sorry. I just wanted to comment about when you were talking about the flag thing. And um, I think given time, I think the Republican Party would, would absolutely embrace the Nazi flag and the ISIS flag if it benefited them. And I think, you know, we've seen that in the past just with them embracing things we never thought that they would before. And um, I grew up in Invergrove and just about um, four years ago, they had the Confederate flag as a prize in the booths um, for like winning things when you have, a, I don't know, you shoot something and knock down a, a, and you get a prize. And it was, sorry, it was... Um, confederate flag and that was an in invergrove in 2018 wow that's that's, that's disturbing Thank, thanks mary joyce no and and 
we've already had, by the way, a case. Wasn't it DeSantis down in Florida? There were some people out there flying, uh, waving the Nazi flag, I think, outside of Disney World. And initially, he eventually came back out and I go, oh, I condemn it now. But his first version at saying, hey, you know what? The Nazi flag is bad. I'm not exactly rooting for Rolf from Sound of Music. You know, the, he, he finally basically had to come out on that. No, I, I would... What is what I, I'm dead serious when I, she's exactly right in a hundred years, you know, will, will we have the quote unquote moderate Republican candidate talking about, come on, man, the Nazi flag. Some people consider that what, what, what's, what's the term she used here? The, uh, um, the tradition, um, yeah, that you know, it's it, it is, some people saw the the Nazi flag as heritage and tradition. I guarantee you, though, in a hundred years, unless they 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 do a course correction on this party, and right now I don't see any way in the world they're going to be able to do that. They're extremists. I mean, this is who they are. And whenever they're not being extremist, let's talk about the Republican and failed Republicans and failed policy because their policy is atrocious too. Because also last night, Nikki did what Republicans, the conservative right, does, which is to solve a problem, they throw out a solution that isn't a solution. It's just a talking point. It's not a policy because there's no way on the planet they would support the policy that they would put forward. Yesterday, we talked about after the shooting in Iowa, Vivek Ramaswamy says it's mental health. Now, it's, it is also the guns. Let's be honest about it. But he's to a point, he's right. It is a mental health issue. So what are you going to do about mental health? And I can talk right now authoritatively. I've had people on who are experts in, in mental health issues. The, the rural America right now is operating at something like th- 20 to 30 percent capacity of needed mental health professionals in rural America. We desperately need r- mental health professionals there. The metro areas aren't much better. Um, it's, you know, most of the established clinics that have counselors are already booked to capacity. We need, I think one of the big problems they have is to get licensed. It actually, is a, it's, it's a very expensive process for the, uh, the people who are trying to become um, mental health professionals. I think you, you could streamline that, at least do some covering of costs there that would help out and get more mental health professionals into the, into the field. Absolutely. That would cost money. You need to put initiatives. That would cost extras. That would, you would need to build some mental health centers, especially in rural America. That would cost extra money. They're not going to say this. All those things, by the way, are good ideas and would ad- address what Vivek Ramaswamy brought up, which is mental health is a problem. Absolutely. But you see, is that's the it for him. Just saying it's mental health issues. Nothing else. He's not going to solve the problem. He doesn't want to solve the problem. He doesn't want to solve the problem. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to ever put numbers down on paper. Yesterday, at that same CNN thing, Nikki Haley, we have to secure our schools the same way we secure our, secure our airports and courthouses, goes on to talk about a guard in every school. Now, first of all, uh, if you're going to talk about courthouses, federal courthouses and airports, you can't bring a gun into them anyway. You know, so... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know, if, if you is, you know, that's not a comparable thing. I mean, it's, it's not like you're, you have, you know, armed guards to the teeth in these places. Well, I'm guessing some places you do, 
And that's, I think, where she was trying to go with this. Needless to say, we've had schools. There have been school shootings. Valde had had a a guard there. They had the one down at Parkland at a guard. There was a shooting up at Red Lake. They had some kind of service officer there. You've had numerous cases where there have been these people in place, and it just doesn't do anything. The argument, I mean, Republicans have always made the argument of put someone like that, a security guard there, or arm the teachers. Not because it's going to stop the shootings. By far, it's not going to. But now they have a person to blame for the shooting. Well, the gunman was able to kill all those kids because the teacher didn't all of a sudden become Jason Stratham and basically you know, do triple flips shooting the gun and take out the bad guy. You see, it's, it's not about solving the problem. It's about creating people to blame for the problem as opposed to addressing the problem. There are too many freaking guns out there. Nikki Haley wants to do this. Let me, let me, <laughs> it's time for Matt's math corner because yeah, uh, by the way, a, a simple check will show that there are about 84,000 public school buildings, no, not private school. I'm just talking about the public school buildings. 84,000 public school buildings in the country, 84,000. My presumption is you're going to want to pay these people more than minimum wage to put their lives on the line. Uh, I tried to to get as many people, I, I made a comment about this on social media earlier today, and and uh, many people came back as like, okay, you said $50,000. I was trying to find a way to make this as cheap as I possibly could for the Republicans just for their argument. And so, yeah, I, I put it at $50,000. Many people uh, pointed to me that that's not going to be nearly enough to hire trained professionals who are going to deal with such things as, you know, a, a crazed individual with an assault weapon out there. But still, we'll just do it for, yeah, just just to get a number, $50,000 a year per each security guard for 84,000 buildings in the country. That is, by the way, your minimum cost per year. Per year, $4 billion, $200 million <laughs> just for that. And as some people pointed out, it's like, okay, well, in some schools, you're going to need to have two or three resource officers because the schools are that big. And there's also, you're not going to be able to get one person doing an eight-hour shift because a lot of these schools do things well into the evening. So you're going to have at least many of these school districts are going to be two people. And people then came back and told me, you're, once again, you're not going to be able to just pay this person $50,000. It's going to be closer to seventy five, maybe dollars maybe $100,000 to put their lives on the line to try to stop psychopaths from shooting up the place. Or on top of it, you know, benefits, you know, if we forget about those, obviously a good health care plan is going to be something that's going to be a, an essential with this job, it is going to cost, once again, probably conservatively per year, $15 billion to do this. Conservatively, $15 billion. Now, if I was to go to Nikki Haley with, hey, we're going to spend $15 billion, she wouldn't even hear what for. She'd say, nope. Nope, nope, we're not going to do this. And I said, wait a second. No, no, no. This is your plan. You wanted to put a security guard in in every building and every school and have them there while they're there. This is what it will cost, $15 billion per year. She said, no, we won't do it. I mean, she would absolutely outright say, no, that's just too expensive. We're not going to do it. She might try to do an unfunded mandate where they say, well, the school district has to hire these people, but we're not going to give you any additional money for it. See, the, the coward's way out. But uh, that is, you know, the, the reality is, is that I highly doubt 
that that is they would even try to do that. The Republican Party is all about this. It's I can't even like I said, you can't even use the term policy without any because it's not. It's just a talking point. It's just a talking point. That's all it is. It's a talking point. They're only saying this because they just want people to forget about it. It's it's like when when you know when people you know I don't think there's anything wrong. I, I'm a, I'm a Christian myself. I don't think there's anything wrong with people praying for victims and feeling sorry for victims. I don't. But if that's all you're doing. It seems to me what you're really doing is praying to make yourself feel better about things, not actually trying to help the people who are victims here. Because if you want to do something, prayer is great, but there needs to be action. And for a lot of people, especially on the right, there's just prayer. See, I prayed. See, my soul's you know been admonished. I don't have to worry anymore about things. And that's not how it works. And the reality is, is, uh, I could easily make an argument. Someone this came at me today and said, name a law not already in the books that would have solved any of this. All right, fine. Mandatory gun safety programs to own a gun. Gun insurance, a database of all gun, sale, gun sales in the United States and all guns that are owned in the United States. Mandatory 20-year jail term for anyone illegally selling a gun. Military-grade weapons not freely available. Guarantee if we put those into place tomorrow, that would start solving a lot of these problems. You can't do that. Yes, you can. Antonin Scalia, not exactly Johnny Liberal. He said that because you, you, you guys want to skip on past that whole well-regulated militia part of the Second Amendment. He said as a constitutionalist that you can regulate the Second Amendment. We can regulate the First Amendment. You guys, this whole new mentality that you can't, that the Second Amendment is absolute, is only since 2000, basically, where you guys have been betrothed to the Republican Party, has been betrothed to the gun lobby and the gun industry. You can you could pass all those laws and they would hold up because, yeah. The, re- the ugly reality is this. They're not going to do anything. Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Trump, DeSantis, none of them. None of them are going to do a damn thing. Speaker Johnson, nothing. nope, they're not going to do a thing. Because it comes down to one simple basic fact. They do not care about your kids getting killed. They don't. Once again, their prayers without any actions are only about saving their soul, not actually about solving the problem. Plain and simple. The profit margins for the gun industry and the bullet industry matter more to them than your children's life. And that goes for everyone who is listening to me. If you're a conservative who's hate listening, hi, all right. But this goes for your kids too. Your kids could get gunned down. They don't care. They don't care because the only thing that matters to them are the the, the profit margins for the, the gun manufacturers and the bullet manufacturers. I've often said, I mean, corporate, corporate America is, is, is kind of a, a ruthless place. I've often said that if at the end of this day, killing me would increase a Forbes 500 corporation's stock price by two cents on the end of the day, I wouldn't make it out of the day. I wouldn't make it out of this building. At least I, I'd guess a third of the, a third of the Fortune 500 companies would, would, would take care of me right away. 
Because that's two cents on the share, man. That's a lot of money. No, I mean, the corporate America is a cold, heartless place. And that's why we should never say corporations are people, my friend. No, they're not. They're a company. It's a business. They have no heart. They have no soul. They're basically only in them for themselves. It's the worst kind of human being if you would even want to try to call them that. But the gun, in the, the gun industry, for God's sakes, they have bought and paid for the entire House and Senate Republican caucus. And their whole goal is this. You're not doing a damn thing because our profit margins for the gun industry and the bullet industry matter more than any one single child who's been gunned down in this country. And don't you ever forget it. And they don't because the Republican Party is a bunch of freaking lapdogs. By the way, should mention, speaking of this, uh, the NRA, longtime head of the National Rifle Association, uh, said he's resigning. Wayne LaPierre, just days before the start of a civil trial over allegations, he diverted millions of dollars from the powerful gun rights group to pay for personal travel and other lavish perks. He says he has health issues, uh, but I think he's trying to avoid that as well. It should also be noted, it's a very likely chance that the NRA was funneling money from Russia directly to the Republican Party as a front. It was a money laundering scheme to get Russian dollars into Republican Party coffers. And it worked because there's a lot of those guys that just still worship Russia. It's kind of scary. So, Just the more you know. Rainbow emoji. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. Hey, let's take a visit and dive on into the smile file. Hey, the Department of Justice Friday said nearly 1,300 individuals have been arrested and charged with their alleged involvement in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Yay! That's right. We're tracking you down, you scum. Anti-American scum. Dang right. Around 200 of those arrests came in the last six months. Got to catch them all. Like Pokemon, only with a bunch of jackasses. (laughs) Well, actually, I don't know about the personality of any of the Pokemon characters. I mean, they could be really despicable human beings or creatures or whatever. But needless to say, uh, basically, so once 200 of those arrests in the last six months, signaling the DOJ's prosecutorial efforts are still going strong three years after the deadly assault. Uh, In an update sent out uh, marking three years since the attack, the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. said more than 1,265 defendants from nearly all 50 states have all been charged in connection with January 6th. Nearly 452 have been charged with assaulting a police officer, 123 with using a deadly weapon to do so. Hey, wait a second here. I thought all these Republicans who kept saying it was Democrats that were disguised as Antifa, but they were actually really wholesome American MAGA people. I I thought that they all said that those guys were unarmed. (laughs) Wait a second, 123 with a deadly weapon. Oh, okay. Um, Another 11 have been charged with assaulting members of the media or destroying their equipment. Roughly 71 defendants have been charged with destruction of government property and 56 with a theft of government property. Over 332 have been charged with corrupt, corruptly obstructing, influencing, or impeding an official proceeding and are attempting to do so. The vast majority of the defendants whose cases have all been resolved have pleaded guilty. 
many of them who faced or will face incarceration at sentencing. Yay! Smile file. <laughs> Out of the 718 guilty pleas, 213 involved felonies, including 89 for assaulting a police officer, 41 for obstructing, and four for seditious conspiracy. Another 171 were found guilty of contested trials, 76 of whom were charged with assaulting an officer. Roughly 467 defendants have been sentenced to prison terms, some as high as 12 and a half years. Hey, time for you to think about what you've done. Now, I could just do smile file and just kind of leave it at that. I will say that there are still people out there we need to find. Yep, we do. Authorities are still working to identify more than 80 people wanted for attacks of violence at the Capitol and to find out who placed the pipe bombs outside the Republican and Democratic National Committee's offices the day before the Capitol attack. And they continue to regularly make new arrests, even as some January 6th defendants are being released from prison and completing their sentences. Dozens of people believed to have assaulted law enforcement during the riot have yet to be identified by authorities, according to the sources. And the statute of limitations on the crimes is five years, which means they would have to be charged by January 6, 2026. Uh, several defendants have also fled after being charged. Oh, so proud of yourselves, aren't you? One of these guys, by the way, was with the Proud Boys. You're running away, running away. I hope you're a, what are you, a fry cook out in the middle of Montana someplace? Several defendants who fled after being charged, including a Proud Boy member in Florida who disappeared while he's in house arrest after he was convicted of using pepper spray gel on police officers. Christopher Worrell, who spent weeks in, on the lam, has sentenced on, on Thursday to 10 years in prison. Ah, good for you. You enjoy yourself. The FBI is still searching for some defendants who have been on the run for months, including a brother-sister pair from Florida. Olivia Pollock disappeared shortly before her trial was supposed to begin in March. Her brother, Jonathan Pollock, is also missing. The FBI has offered a reward of up to $30,000 for information leading to the arrest of Jonathan Pollock, who is accused of thrusting a riot shield into an officer's face and throat, pulling an officer down the steps and punching others. So, yeah, let's find that guy. Another defendant, Evan Newman, fled the U.S. two months before after his December 21 uh, indictment. He's believed to be living in Belarus. I bet that's fantastic. Oh, what about uh, that pipe bomber? Well, one of the biggest memory, uh, mysteries remains uh, surrounding the ride is the identity of the person who placed the two pipe bombs outside the offices of the Republican and Democratic National Committees the day before the Capitol attack. Last year, authorities increased the reward up to $500,000 for information leading to the person's arrest. It remains unclear whether there has been a connection between the pipe bombs and the riot. I, I, I'm not going to. I don't think it was just coincidence, a coinky dink. Investigators have spent thousands of hours <clears throat> over the last three years doing interviews and combing through evidence and tips to the public, uh, said David Sunberg, assistant director in charge of the FBI field, Washington field officer office, rather, I should say. We urge anyone who may have uh, previously hesitated to come forward, who may have realized they had important information to contact us. If you think you got any information, contact the FBI. We got to find these people. Or, you know, I guess that, you know, them basically being on the run in Belarus for the rest of their life. Well, good luck with that. I, it, it'll be interesting what happens when that government fails, because I don't think that government is going to be around much longer. Uh, when that government fails, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he gets imported back here. It's like, I'm a sovereign citizen. Sure you are, clown car. Uh, <laughs> seriously. You know, you, you got to catch all these guys. You got to catch them all. 
I should mention Roger Stone. It's interesting, too. There's a story about him. He was filmed taking a phone call from the Proud Boys leader, Enrique Tarrio, on the lead-up to January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Once again, I've said this before, that Roger Stone clearly seems to have been the point person for the Trump campaign with these groups that were going to go and storm the Capitol. And there actually is a story out of Michigan today which directly connects the Trump campaign now to the, uh, the, the, the false electors, that, that actually that connection is now made, that there are people with the Trump campaign that were advising and guiding the, 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 the fake electors in Michigan. This was all coordinated through Trump and his people, including what happened there. Those groups that showed up armed to the gills, the, those groups that showed up with their tactical gear and all their radios and the, that had the, 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 the schematics for the Capitol building, who seemed to have you know, allies within the Congress in the Capitol building it themselves. This was all coordinated. And I, you know, Roger Stone sure stinks to high heck because during this filming, there was a documentary they were doing on him. During the filming of this, he said, hey, I got to take this in private and basically shooed the cameras away so we could talk to Enrique Tario by himself. Uh, if Now, if you, you know, keep him in jail for a little bit longer, get him to flip and let's go after Raj because I want to see that guy go to jail. Oh, I think that, that Nixon tattoo will do great for you. Hey, Chicago, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour number two of the show here. Good to be with you, Minneapolis-St. Paul. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Coming up here in a little bit, Michael Broadcorp comes in to... I, I don't want to say it's it's our it's our funeral speech for the Viking season, but it's probably going to be the funeral speech for the Viking season. We'll talk to him about uh, the loss last week as well as uh, the game coming up. But uh, there was a a little bit of a, a shocker of a news story that came on out where the Teamster, Teamsters chief uh, went and met with Trump uh, at Mar-a-Lago, and obviously this is what? Yeah, exactly. Rick Smith. The Rick Smith Show airs at 8 o'clock weeknights right here on AM 950. He, of course, has got his fingers on the pulse of the union worker in this country. We had to get him on the air to talk about this. Hey, Rick. Matt, how are you, brother? I'm doing very well out there. Uh, how are you doing, man? It's it's it's, uh, it's 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 good to see you still fighting the, the good fight for the union worker, man. Uh, somebody's got to. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at this, and i got to tell you, it's... Uh... Uh, I didn't believe it at first. At first, I, you know, the, the first reaction I saw, I saw the picture uh, that was sent to me, and I'm uh, going, no, that's got to be Photoshop. Nobody would do something that stupid. And, uh, yeah, the, the Teamsters actually tweeted out the fact that they, their general president, Sean O'Brien, who I've met, uh, who I voted for, who I like, who I'm pulling for, who I think did a great job uh, on the UPS contract and I have great hope for in the future, um, I, whoever whoever thought this was a good idea, whatever consulted uh, gave him this bit of this nugget of an idea, should probably be fired. But when I saw this, I'm going, you know, I um, I don't get it. I don't get the point. No. Uh, why would you make the pilgrimage down to Magalago down there, um, knowing what what Trump has done? I mean, this is the the problem. And what's interesting to me, Matt, and um, you know, I'm looking at the picture that that the Teamsters put out in their in their tweet. 
uh, saying that, hey, we're going to sit down with the, uh, with, we sat down with Trump and had a you know, productive discussion and all this nonsense. And the picture that they gave of, of Trump giving the, the, the big smiley thumbs up and O'Brien standing there kind of like, you know, with this look on his face and this, this demeanor, you know, kind of like a guy who was cheating on his girlfriend and just realized it was a bad idea. Um, that's the picture that the Teamsters put out. I, Trump put out a picture of both of them doing the thumbs up. So not only did, did did Trump, you know, basically get the message that he wanted that that the unions you know are are listening to him. Um, he he basically backdoored him on the messaging on on you know how it went as well. The okay, we should make sure we mention here. I I would be stunned. If the UAW does not go with Joe Biden, for the reason being is that Joe Biden was the first president ever to walk a line. If well, they, the UAW may. I mean, the Teamsters, on the other hand, the UAW, uh, have, have a history of you know of bucking, you know, going their own way sometimes. And and I've said it. If if there is going to be a, a a national union that does back Trump, the Teamsters could be because O'Brien is is new in the in the thing. Uh, is is got a, a different you know mindset. Um, I, I can't imagine, given the fact that Biden did get the Butch Lewis Act passed and saved multi-employer pension funds in this system, in this country, which is why this this just so curious of why the decision to go to, to Magalago and and sit down with Trump. Look, I understand if Trump were to come to D.C. and sit at the at the Teamsters headquarters, you know, much like they're saying, hey, there's going to be a roundtable. Absolutely. You invite him into your roundtable. You treat him like everybody else. But this idea that you, you're making a, a pilgrimage uh, down to Magalago down there to meet with him, to kiss the ring, this... The, this this is the wrong the wrong messaging all the way, especially a couple of days before January sixth, because well, now we're not talking about January sixth. Well, O'Brien is is okay. He his whole argument and the Teamsters they, their whole argument is he has met with other members of 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 candidates who are running, including Kennedy, uh, Dean Phillips, and stuff like this. They're they're just meeting everyone to dot I's and cross T's. Which that might be what he's doing. I got. I think your point about the photos is kind of an interesting side note. But I, I I'm. Is, is, can, is, is, you know, I know it's terrestrial radio, and I know I'm supposed to be a, a radio professional. Is is? Can I say the full BS word? No, you can't. Okay, so, <laughs> but you you know what I'm saying here. Yeah. <laughs> just so I can get that out there, bull. Well, let let's go with that. Uh, because here's the thing with that. Um, you didn't make a special trip to all of those places. You didn't go down to you know to Kennedy's compound. You didn't go to all of these places. Did he go show up in Minnesota? Was he there to meet with Phillips? I, I I missed that photo op. I didn't see that. No. Yeah. So I'm not buying that. Uh, this was something different, and that that's where I have a problem with this. And here's my other problem. We know what Trump will do based on what Trump did. Trump was a very bad president for working people. You go back and you look at what he did while he was president. Everything that he did was on the side of corporate power. He doesn't support workers' rights to organize. He doesn't support collective bargaining. He doesn't support the right to strike. He is on tape saying he supports right to work. Um, you know, it, it, he's the guy who appointed Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court that brought us the Janus decision that gave us a right-to-work country for, for public sector workers. 
Uh, does any of this ring a bell, maybe? I mean, this is a guy who time after time has sided with, with corporate power. This is a guy who's NLRB, never missed an opportunity to side with corporate power. In fact, many of my labor friends during the Trump years stopped bringing cases to the NLRB because Trump's NLRB was so bad. Now, Trump, Trump's NLRB was horrible. Biden's NLRB has been magnificent for working people. Let me say this again. They have been outstanding. They have done absolutely everything I could have possibly imagined, and then some. And I can imagine some pretty great things. <laughs> well, you brought up Trump and his history. The, the one of the things that I, I think about is, forget about him just as president, which you shouldn't. I mean, he's been horrible to the union worker there. But his entire modus operandi has been the same thing, to double-cross unions on contracts, pay them far less than they agree to work for him, and do it with a smile on his face. It's yep. not like there's a mystery here. He has a long, long, long resume of hating unions, double-crossing unions. He can't be trusted. The idea that any union would think that this is a good idea is an absolute joke. No, absolutely. And, and look, you know, Trump's a scab. He's crossed picket lines. <laughs> why, you, why you platform that person, I don't know. Now, look, what I'm being told by, by folks that I know is uh, this was a, you know, you, 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 got, you know how D.C. PR people work. Hey, you know, we've got a little lull. You know, we had the high of the UPS negotiations. You know, we need to get some energy. We need to get some activity. Um, you know, maybe this will generate some attention. Well, it's getting some attention all bad attention. And, and in D.C., you know, any attention is, is, is positive. Well, this is not. This is not good. This is not, this is not helpful, especially at a time when, you know, Republicans, and I've been saying this for the last couple of years, Republicans have been trying to make a play for organized labor for a little while. Uh, you, you've got the Josh Hollies of the world, the Marco Rubios of the world, trying to make themselves less, appear to be less anti-worker, their voting records, still horribly anti-worker, but their rhetoric, they, they appear to try. Mm -hmm. And this, to me, is another one of those moments where Republicans are trying to make a, a play for, for union money. Not, you're not going to get the votes. I mean, the, the, the union voters are going to vote the way they're going to vote. Uh, but this is, this is a play for the money and to take some away from Democrats. If, if that were to happen, that would be a major win for, for Republicans. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think in this case it's going to happen. I think the blowback that O'Brien's getting right now, and, and from what I hear, there's mutiny going on on the ship. Uh, I think the lesson is going to be learned. But um, this, this, was a major, this was a major mistake, I believe. Well, okay, and we had this, and I had you on to talk about this before. The state in, in, in Minnesota here, we had the Carpenters Union uh, I think it was in 20, it was 2020, 2016. I can't remember exactly. They endorsed Trump in the state. It was one of the few unions. I mean, the police unions did and he, they did. And I had the Carpenters Union guy here and I said, you do understand. And not only did they endorse the, the Trump, but they also endorsed Republicans uh, in the state and, and that, that were running for office. And I said, you do understand that if that local Republican is the tie-breaking vote to kill your union, they're going to, the guy that says that they're on your side will run up with cameras rolling with a smile on their face and destroy your union in a heartbeat. And yep. yet they just, they, this, there's this mentality. It's like, I see, we see it in Minnesota too, with these nurses unions that are voting down unions right now. Uh, they're going off the union 
and you, they, the mentality is, well, the other unions will save us. And I think that that's a really stupid way because eventually you do get to that break point where they're not going to be able to save you, and then all of a sudden everything is gone. No, and that's, that's the problem here. And you, you pointed out a moment ago that you know, nothing, you, nothing comes out of Trump's mouth you can believe because he's going he's gonna to double-cross and backstab you. Uh, and, and I don't know what the, you know, again, I don't know what, what, what the idea was uh, to pull all this together. Uh, I don't know why this happened the way it did. But it was a major mistake. Now, someone said, well, you know, should he have met with him at all? I go, yeah, of course you meet with him. Uh, if Trump were to come to, uh, to D.C. And, and, and go to O'Brien's office, absolutely, like any other candidate, certainly, you meet with him. You don't turn him away. Hey, look, if he came to my office, I'd meet with him. It's, it's, this, it's the platforming of, of Trump. It's, it's the fact that he made the, the overt act to go to Magalago uh, to, to meet with him and, and elevate this meeting to something very special. That's the problem that I have with it, well, um, because this, this sends a whole different message in my view. Did, was it O'Brien just with the, that knucklehead from Oklahoma in the Senate who wanted to start a fight with him? It's not like the Republicans, any yeah, they had an actual senator. Bernie Sanders had to basically yeah. rein in Mulwine, wasn't it? As I think it was. Yeah. You know, they uh, had Mark a, Wayne Mullen. Mark Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Mullen, yeah. And, yeah uh, but here's the thing, you know, I got, to be completely fair, and in, you know, this is completely fair, O'Brien started it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, with his tweet, you know, anytime, cowboy, uh, anywhere, anytime, cowboy, was the tweet. You go, uh, I, I, the day he tweeted, I go, this, is gonna, this might get him a butt whooping. I, I, in fact, I said this on air. He may have to take a butt whooping for this. Because uh, I would have to. If I said it and I, I'd back it up, I'd, I'd have to go down there and take a whipping. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd still, he's a, he's a, he's a teamster. I, I'll put 20 on him. Uh, you know, that's why I there. Uh, the, okay, and I should mention, I brought up UAW. Uh, not the Teamsters, but the UAW, didn't Trump back in September basically threaten yep. the UAW saying, if you don't support me, I will destroy you, basically? Well, no, what he did is he, he's making a play, again, where they're making a play for the, the members by saying, you know, your, your leadership is selling you out. Uh, because Trump was, you know, basically trying to talk to the members saying, your leadership is demanding too much. They want too much for you. And, and, you know, look, you know, when, when Biden was going to walk, when Biden walked on the picket line, Trump went to Michigan. He went to a, a manufacturing company uh, of which, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the owner was there with, you know, you, with auto worker signs, which, which is hysterical. Uh, but Fain handled it properly. And that, this is the thing that I think is important to remember. There's a way to handle Trump. And I thought Sean Fain did an amazing job of it by saying, look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, our job is to take on uh, these billionaires. He says with every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. He said we can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires that don't have any understanding what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to get by by expecting them to solve the problems of the working class. I thought that was brilliant. I think Sean Fain is is brilliant in handling this. Now, look, he beats up on Biden, too, but not, not in a way that is like this, a massive slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I got to tell you, you know, 
And the White House started already kind of pushing back on this. There was an L.A. Times piece. You know, there, there's some stuff. This isn't good, especially, you know, as we head into election season. I don't, I don't think it's good. Well, and one last question about this, then, is, is do you think that this is the Teamsters basically saying, hey, the, 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 the Democrats are going to be there anyway? I mean, we already know he, they're on board with us. So, you know, you know it's, we can go and get into bed with the Republicans because where are the where where are the the Democrats going to go? They'll always be a reliable vote for us. So, is do you think that there's some kind of trying to play both sides of the coin thing? I mean, I mean clearly there is some of that going on. But I mean, are we looking at something on a much larger scale uh, as we get closer to the election? I, I got to tell you, it's it's my view that this is um, someone who's whispering in in President O'Brien's ear uh, that hey, you know, you don't know. We we should probably you know hedge our bets a little bit, go meet with, with Trump, have dinner with him, you know, play nice. Uh, you've said a lot of bad things about him, uh, but, hey, you know, you know do this, and, and you know, we'll, 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 we're going to probably we're gonna endorse Biden. But if he wins, if Trump wins, at least we've got this. I, I think there's that kind of triangulation you know, with the consultant class. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you know how this stuff works. You know there yeah. are people who are soulless, who, who, don't, who, who, don't, who don't get the, the, the ultimate message. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm going to give President O'Brien the benefit of the doubt that this wa- this was a bad piece of PR consultant work and that they should probably fire that consultant. Obviously, you're going to have more on this tonight, 8 o'clock hour. The Rick Smith Show is right here on AM 950. Rick, uh, as always, thank you very much for the insight. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you, my friend. You as well, my brother. Take care. Rick Smith. The Rick Smith Show, once again, 8 o'clock tonight, right here on AM 950. Let's take a break. Come on back. The Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Some breaking news, but not as Patrick said earlier. It's not a big surprise. The Supreme Court on Friday has agreed to decide whether former President Trump is ineligible for Colorado's primary ballot. They'll hear this on February 8th. Why this is interesting is, I just looked at the primary. Uh, That primary date is March 5th. So this doesn't, I mean, they're going to, they're probably going to have hear arguments and have a ruling fairly quickly. They'll have to, or else maybe what they're trying to do is basically tie Colorado's hand saying, we're going to put an injunction. You have to include them on until we make this decision. So we'll hear this. We won't rule until April, which means, by the way, he's going to be on the primary itself. It could quite that that I, I've thought about that myself. They, they they have ways that they could force Colorado's hand on this, and then still come back after the fact and say, "Oh yeah, you were right to be able to to remove him. Just you couldn't do it this time around." We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, I did find it interesting. His lawyer, dear God, talk about quid and pro and quo. Basically, on was it Fox last night saying, "Oh yeah, you know Kavanaugh. We fought for Kavanaugh, so Kavanaugh better fight for us." I mean, you know, she then must have realized what she just said because she said, "I, I mean, I'm not saying that we're, we're telling him to to rule any other way that he wants to. I'm just saying that you know, you know, he'll do the right thing. You know, it, it's it's you know, they they weren't even trying to hide the quid pro quo." 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Another major story that broke today um, was something, and once again, uh, fans of the show, if you've listened for a long time, you've heard about my my religious faith, the the, 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 the struggles I had with the Catholic Church. We, we, you know, I, you know, we're Catholic, we were Catholic. 
raised the kids Catholic. We were there and really we had seen a series of decisions to turn the Catholic church into a political wing of the Republican party that made us sort of say, no, we're not going to go there. And when the, the, uh, the conference of, uh, Catholic bishops, uh, the, the, when they came on out and basically said, uh, we're going to go after Joe Biden, uh, specifically, that's when we decided to leave. And we talked actually to our priest and he said, oh yeah, you're not the only ones. And, yeah, I, I think one of the reasons why you've seen them kind of tone down their rhetoric a little bit is I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people aren't sitting in the pews and then money ain't going in the collection plate. So I think that's kind of the case. But where a lot of this started was Archbishop John Neinstead, who was the uh, bishop of the um, uh, of, of the cathedral over in St. Paul, uh, archbishop over there. Uh, he was he was an interesting cat. Uh, I remember how full-throated he was in his endorsement of trying to write hate into the state constitution back in 2012 with the um, don't you know you know the the uh, you know don't allow gay people to get married um, uh, you know word verbiage uh, that they wanted to put in there and that failed uh, and of course you know at the same time you know the, the at the same time they had a ballot initiative to basically prevent. Um, you know, you know, immigrants from beginning getting a driver's license, which the, 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 the archdiocese was also supposedly against that bill was against that. But of course you never heard their opinion to that because that was something the conservatives, the Republicans were pushing and he didn't want to upset them. He was, he didn't, he didn't mind upsetting those, those heathen liberals like, you know, Jesus, but you know, I just say, I just, Hey, I've read the new Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you should read that. He's not a Republican. I'm, yeah, it's, you know, he's not. Uh, anyway, some breaking news with him. Uh, nine years after the Twin Cities Archbishop Neinstead resigned after charges of a sex abuse cover-up, the Holy See in Rome concluded its investigation, determined that he did not commit a crime. Even so, Pope Francis decided that because some of Neinstead's conduct during his eight years of leadership was imprudent, yeah, there were some stories, the former archbishop cannot return to the church's province of St. Paul, Minneapolis, which also includes all of Minnesota and North and South Dakota, to live or to do church work. Though the evidence available did not support a finding, this is in quotes, though the evidence available did not support a finding that any conduct on the part of Archbishop Neinstead could be judged as a as uh, uh, derelict, it was communicated to me that several instances of imprudent actions were brought to light. Archbishop uh, Bernard Hebda, who took over for, uh, for his predecessor in 2016, said in a statement on Friday, Hebda did not clarify what those imprudent actions were, but he said the Holy See determined that they did not either individually or as a whole warrant any further investigation or penal sanctions. Neinstead, who lives in Michigan, according to the archdiocese, has denied the allegations. He Pope's new determination also bars him from doing church work outside of the diocese where he lives without getting special permission and informing Rome. I, yeah, there were some some stories. The fact that there is it's it's not necessarily a full, you know, pardon per se of his actions. That was I I I'm, I've I've talked about this before. I'll never forget that going into church one day and looking at the pews and it's like, why is there only like a third of the people here? And the, and it was that stark. It was that stark 
And that was after the, the child sex scandal. And the reason why, and I've talked about this before as well, the reason why we didn't leave the church at that point was because, um, you know, it was one of those things where the, the priests we had were just as outraged and upset as anyone else. And, you know, they were like, that's not our our church in there. And, and so you have to kind of bear it on an individual basis. And they were some of the most vocal you know, opponents of leniency on some of these people I'd heard. So it was kind of one of those things where we were there. But in the wake of that, I think it was, you know, and I and and clearly when you look at the primary benefactor to any individual parish, you know, the fact is there is a lot of Republican conservatives that basically were bankrolling the individual churches and they were basically dictating what kind could be and could not be, you know, preached from the pulpit. I mean, clearly that was going on. I've been, I was at some churches and like, okay, really? But it was, the, it seems like that they, there was the American Catholic Church really started to embrace Republican talking points as a way to try to get people back, parishioners back into the pews. And to a point it worked, but at what cost? Well, I've left the church. My family has. We're going to a Lutheran church now. It's a very nice church. I'm very happy with it. And I'm sorry, I, I don't go there to be told that unless I vote for a certain political candidate that I'm a sinner. And in, and that wasn't happening in my church. My church was fairly liberal. As a matter of fact, back in 2012 when they had that the anti-gay marriage amendment, uh, Ninestead basically was apparently had told the priest to encourage people to vote for it. And he says, I'm not going to do that. You, you're educated people. You go do what you want to do to a rounding, rousing standing ovation in our church. Our church was fairly liberal, but it was just, it was an, enough was enough. And yeah, I, I think that that, the, I don't know if it's changed anything. I will say this. I've noticed that the, the American Catholic church is definitely toning down their rhetoric towards Democrats, but the damage has already been done in a lot of ways. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. But that's just my personal journey. You do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. All right? All right. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, Michael Broadcorp joins us. It is football talk time. We'll do that when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Michael Broadcorp, not only is he an expert at political conversation here in Minnesota, especially from the Republican side, but he's also been our Vikings correspondent. He is kind enough today to join us. And uh, what I, I sure did not want you on the air on Monday. I'm glad we had the New Year's Day because I cannot imagine Monday would you would have been in a good mood to talk about what exactly happened last week. And Michael Broadcorp is here to talk about Vikings. Hi, Michael. It, yes, great to be here. It was tough. My wife, I'm married to a, uh, a Green Bay Packer fan, um, and she's the worst type of Vikings Packers fan in the sense that she just she just wants both teams to have a fun time. She wants to be a, it to be a good game. It was not a good game. It was not an enjoyable experience, and the Vikings lost. And uh, this is where we're at today. I'm coming off a Packer loss. Not a good time to be a Vikings fan. I, I would drove, I'd drive a, a kid over to a sleepover in Wisconsin uh, at a cabin for a few days. 
And so I was in Wisconsin. All of a sudden, it dawned on me it's 3 o'clock on, on New Year's Ooh. Eve. I said, I'm in Wisconsin on New Year's Eve, and the Packers play at night. I said, I need to get the hell out of this state. You know, I <laughs> just need to get out of there before chaos ensued. I imagine it did. 33-10 was the final there as the Packers won. But you and I talked last Friday about the fact that this game was exactly what we thought it was going to be. It was a, it was an audition for Jaron Hall to go see if if the Vikings did indeed have a backup quarterback that could come in in the future uh, and 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 be there in case what if if next year a similar situation happens where the starter goes out. Correct. 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 That's what happened, and he did such. And, and where we're at is that Nick Mullins is starting on Sunday. <laughs> um, yes, working. Uh, that's where he is uh, right now. Is, is that Nick Mullins will start on Sunday. So it was just not a good performance uh, by Jared Hall, and and it was not a good experience for the Vikings and the fans based on the score. Nick Mullins came in. He did move the ball pretty well, uh, but just was not in a position to win the game and come back closely. So I think I think the Vikings leadership. I think the head coach made a good decision in having Nick Mullins come in and start on a Sunday for the final game against the Detroit Lions. Um, and, and so I think that was the best the best move for uh, O'Connell to make, and he did. And that's where we're at coming in Sunday with another a different starting quarterback. Uh, Mullins has been in the rotation, but this is a different starting quarterback, and we'll see how it goes on Sunday. Uh, Hall, 5 of 10, 67 yards. Uh, his QBR was 1.1. To give you an idea, Jordan Love, who is, you know, that Packer team is not nearly as good as as, as they try to make themselves out to be, but they beat us. But uh, he, Jordan Love's QBR was 82.7, so that tells you a lot there. So it's not Hall. Yeah. <laughs> and Mullins, Mullins came in, and he, you know, he was, what, 13 for 22, so 500 basically, 113 yards. He did get a touchdown. But it's it's clear Dobbs, Mullins, Hall, none of these guys is worthwhile for us to consider for a backup quarterback in the future. Is that a, is that a, a safe assessment? Correct. I mean, I think that no one has dazzled. I think that, I think it's fair to say that, you know, you know, uh, Dobbs did some good things in, you know, a couple games, but this is, it's clearly been shown in the last few games that no one, I think has really in the last, the last few games that no one has really risen to the occasion. I think that we've had, uh, there's been a heavy rotation in the quarterback spot. We haven't seen stability. We haven't seen someone rise to the occasion and kind of cement that role in any type of way. Even, I mean, there was a possibility, uh, as we discussed, when this kind of started, when we, we were in the very early stages of dealing with the aftermath of Cousins' injury, was there going to be someone that was going to come in and potentially compete for Cousins for that job? And it was pretty clear after the first couple games that Cousins was in a strong position and that he would be in a good position if he wanted to come back. But now we've gotten into an even a week, I think a weaker position where, um, where we just, it's pretty clear that we need a strong QB. We don't have it. And right now I think what's being played out is who's going to be the most qualified backup for uh, the quarterback that comes in, because we can't start the season next year with any of the quarterbacks that have been playing in the last six, eight, eight games. You know, there was an interesting element. uh, I saw an analysis of the Vikings and they said one of the problems that they were having was that, I mean, Cousins has a strong arm and he has accuracy and he can throw downfield with shocking ability. And the Vikings, I mean, Dobbs was different, but Dobbs was only different because he was scrambling for his life. You know, that, that the yeah. Vikings themselves, the game plan that they put into place for Mullins, for Hall, for Dobbs, really was the Cousins version with maybe one or two tweaks. 
And that that if you're going to go with someone who doesn't have the arm strength or the accuracy of Cousins, why in the hell are you doing a game plan that is got geared towards a guy like that? Correct, and there, and I think you've you've been spot on about that. I, the, the play calling hasn't matched up with the, with the strengths and or weaknesses of who's in the QB spot, and I think we've seen that. We've seen a, a high number of inter- interceptions, some, just some bad passes, some bad kind of in the pocket decisions, and so um, we haven't found that groove. We had a little bit of success in the Atlanta game, and then the follow up game um, there was some success, but we haven't been able to find that groove. And um, there's just I, there's no other way to describe it that I think the Vikings are just limping in. Uh, to the final game of the season. There is, a, I think, a less than 5% chance. I think I looked, it was around 3% chance of them making the playoffs. They could <laughs> still make the playoffs uh, as a, right now they're 7-9, and nine, as an 8-9 and nine team. Um, they could make the playoffs. It's A lot of things have to happen. But the QB position and, uh, you know, I also will just raise the concern that if this situation to, were to repeat itself next season, and if we had a strong Cousins, it's pretty clear that we have we have to, we have to, we have to make two decisions in the quarterback position. Number one, who's going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Minnesota Vikings, and who is going to be the qualified backup quarterback? And I think we saw in this particular situation this season the need to having a strong backup quarterback. There needs to be a redundancy system in place for the Vikings in the quarterback position. And I think we have a lot of QB questions that need to be answered because aside from figuring out who's going to be the starter, I really think we need to figure out who's going to be the backup. And, you know, there's a lot of years where we, the Vikings have had a quarterback position where they're the quarter, the back, the, who the backup was, you'd like to be in the situation, Matt, I think all NFL teams would be is that the backup is just that the backup. They're the, they're the they're they're just the backup. You don't you don't know who they are, and they're not as they're holding they're not the as clipboard. Integral part of the game plan. Yeah, but it's pretty clear that this season that we need to have both a strong quarterback and a strong backup because um, what happened this season has shown that we've had weaknesses in both. Some I, I, when I heard that argument about the fact that they didn't change the game plan for these other quarterbacks, the first thing that I thought about in my mind is: Are the Vikings tipping their hand that they're basically that Cousins is coming back? Cousins is, you know, they, they feel as if Cousins is going to be there. And so they basically said, we're just not going to, you know, change everything. And we want these players, we want the linemen, we want the receivers, we want the defense, we want everyone to play the same exact way because, frankly, come preseason next year, it's it's Cousins' teams again. I mean, is, is that, you know, is that one way? Uh, I mean, I'm not crazy to take it that way, is that the fact that they didn't change their game plan really is, is the Vikings screaming at the top of their lungs no matter what we're signing Cousins. I think it could be yes. I mean, I mean, let's just talk about. I think Kirk Cousins has done everything he can to show that he's committed to this Vikings franchise, including showing up to the last game and blowing the horn with the shirt off, um, <laughs> and which was just. And so I think he's really become. Um, a, he's really renewed himself, and, and he's been in the attention span of the Vikings. He's made sure he's made sure to be part of the community, part of the fan experience. Um, and there are not, you know, his and his presence there. I think he's indicate. I think he's doing everything he can that he shows that he wants to be here. And I think you raise a very astute point about the Vikings' game plan and how they're structuring it right now to to telegraph that they want Cousins here. I would be very surprised, Matt, mm-hmm. as we're coming into Week 18, as we've entered Week 18, the final weekend of the se- weekend of the NFL season. I will say to you, for probably in the most confident way, I would be surprised if Cousins is not back. 
I would be surprised if it, that there's just not an opportunity or there's not, because I think both sides have indicated, or at least showing, at least to me, uh, the amateur in the cheap seats, that there's a willingness that they want to continue the dance a little bit. I'd be surprised if he wasn't here. Okay. I really would. Uh, is it like when you talked like last week? I mean, okay, so you go into the draft. You, in, in, as far as the, la- the lackluster running game, find someone on the free agent market, get them in here in the offseason. But look at your, your, you know, clearly because of Cousins, and we have to take into account he's coming off a major injury. So there is there is a likelihood he might miss a few games. Go on out there and find the QB of the future for the team in the draft, get them in there. You think that that is possibly their game plan they're looking ahead toward when the draft comes through? I got to tell you, that's where I think it's at. I think that we've really seen over the last, you know, what, you know, how many games where we've been rotating the QB position shown a real lack of uh, strength in that backup position. And this, this team needs an anchor. It need, and it needs an anchor in that QB position. And, you know, best case scenario is that we're going to get a, uh, a, a repaired Kurt Cousins in, in some form next season. That, that can, you know, can, is he going to have the same mobility? Is he going to have the same ability to scramble and move across the field and do those types of things? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of ifs there with, with Cousins right now. Assuming all that goes well, he's not the long-term solution for the Minnesota Vikings in terms of four or five years down the road. And it's pretty clear that, that our bench is light on the QB position. So I think, I think it makes sense right now that that's where they go. It's the, really the biggest hole. I mean, the Vikings uh, have some open pores right now, but the most immediate band-aid that needs to be solved is the QB position. Then we can get to the running back and get to some other, other places that we need to go. But the QB right now is what has dominated the, this season and the instability in that position. And that needs to be fixed in the offseason, and it needs to be a priority. Uh, I'm going to bring this up. I'm sorry. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm from the get-go, I'm going to say I'm sorry, my friend. Two and six at home, I don't care which team you are, that's unacceptable. You can't go two and six that's, at home. That's god-awful. Yes, and as, as someone who is, I mean, you know, has had season tickets, and my family's had season tickets, uh, a lot of history going to games. It's been a very rough season yes. for Vikings fans. Yes. I will also say to you, Matt, uh, and I was coming on and I was trying to think, what's the best way I can frame up the season? And I've come to this and say, the best experience inside of going to some games with some family members and continuing the tradition that my grandfather and my father started uh, is having these experiences and these opportunities to talk with you. Uh, there's been some really ugly games, really ugly games. And the game day experience this season at U.S. Bank, while it's a lovely stadium and it's a great crowd, Boy, it's been an ugly game day experience, and that's been a real, a real. It's really real tough, particularly after what happened last year. To have a two, two and six record at home, that's something that the Vikings fans are not used to, um, and it's been a pretty rough experience. And it's something that I've talked about on the podcast with you before, on our on our radio discussion before. Is and I've heard this on a lot of other podcasts and other analysts talk about this that the Vikings games that have happened at home, particularly at home this year, have been really bad games. And it's the two and six record, I think, doesn't necessarily, that's a bad mathematical setup. But those, those, those six losses at home, those were some very tough games, some ugly games. Yes. And the fan experience has been tough this year. Very, been very tough this year. Uh, Detroit, uh, final game at Detroit here. Uh, the question is, is how long does Detroit play their starters? I think they're pretty much convinced that they're, that's, they're going to be the three seed. I, I think they got a chance still to be the one seed. 
Uh, I'm not sure how how big that is, but I think most people are expecting that the 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 Lions starters are going to be out there for maybe a quarter, maybe two, and then that's going to be the end of it. Uh, does that give the Vikings a chance to win this game? Do you think? I think it does. I think it does. I mean, the, the Detroit is you know there is a, there is a path for the it's a difficult path, particularly after what happened in Dallas. There's a it's a pretty pretty difficult path, and I don't know long term. What what would be the benefits? I think a lot of things have to come into play for Detroit's team uh, to go up and, and get that number one seed. And so I think they're they're pretty in a, a good spot in the number in where they are right now. I don't see the benefit of them playing um, playing their starters and engaging. I think this could be a game that that they don't need to win. Um, that certainly doesn't have. They've locked in the central. They've locked in the. See, I almost said it there again. They've locked in the NFC North. Um, for the first time in, in like, what, what, 30 years, they've locked it in. And so this, they, they're, they're in the playoffs. The Vikings need to win this game. And so I think, you know, it'd be smart for them to sit some of their players, and, and uh, we'll see. But they're coming off a very tough game in oh. Dallas. I don't want to take their side, but they got screwed. I mean, clearly the guy checked in. And I mean, and as a matter of fact, my, my son was watching the game and he said, this is their design play. The guy checked in two point conversion to go for the win. Although we can have when it came to the third time for that two point conversion. I think at that point you say, just get the kicking team out there and kick the damn thing. But, the, you know, that aside, I think Detroit got screwed. And I say that as a after Detroit taunted the fans here in Minnesota, I'm not a fan of Detroit, but that was a bad call. I would completely agree with you. I'm not a fan of Detroit. Uh, they uh, they absolutely, but they absolutely got hosed on that call. There's no question about it. And I have a feeling that that they could they're going to be a. I think the most dangerous team right now in the in the playoffs is are the Detroit Lions. They have they are coming in. I think they got a trip on their shoulder. They're angry about that game in Dallas. Their fan base is energized. Their coaching staff is energized. The players are energized, and they have a kind of us versus them mentality right now. And what they've done in the NFC North. Uh, the historical kind of move that they made this season, they're very dangerous, a very dangerous team. That being said, I think it would have been better if they would have won in Dallas, and I think they would have been in a much more comfortable position to let this game go on Sunday. I think they're going to have, independent of whether it's the starters uh, or you know uh, starters or not, depending on what percentage, Vikings got to come out and play. But I think Dallas, I mean, I think Detroit's going to be in a strong position. And it's, the Vic- it's obviously statistically – in order for the Vikings to make the playoffs, they have to win against Detroit, which isn't an easy task, but they have to win. And then a series of things have to happen for them to to make the playoffs, which I'm ready to articulate when you when you give me that space. All right, go because the Packers have to lose, correct? Yes, the Vikings need to win at Detroit. Seattle must lose at Arizona, and the Packers must lose to the Bears. Or those, so those three ands have to happen. The Vikings have to win. The Seahawks have to lose, and the Packers need to lose to the Bears. Um, and then there needs to be one of these two things happen. St. Louis needs to lose to the Atlanta Falcons, or uh, the Bucks lose at Carolina. So the Vikings, three, three things have to happen, and then a combination of two others. And right now, those chances I just checked, 3% yes. is the chances of the Vikings to make the playoffs. So you're telling me there's a chance, uh, but I'll be cheering on the Vikings on Sunday at home. But it's 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 a it's a tough road. It's a tough road for them to make the playoffs. I will say this. Okay, so uh, here's our game plan. Uh, next Friday, you're back. We'll get we'll do a playoff preview. We're going to presume Sands Vikes. 
Uh, but we'll do a playoff preview. We'll do your picks on this. And then for sure, and one thing I did not mention to you, right before the Super Bowl, we got to have you back on and kind of give you your thoughts on that game as well, okay? Of course, sir. All right. Michael, uh, one quick question, if I can, about politics, because you are such a smart mind on politics. And I had someone ask me this question. Minnesota 7. Michelle Fishbach is up there. She should be the, the, the incumbent. She shouldn't have any problem. But there, there's this guy. Is it Boyd who's up there, who's a Republican challenging her in the primary? And that he's going the real far MAGA route. Now, if that's going to play in any district, Minnesota 7 the one. Uh, it, it, she's not in trouble, is she? No, I, I think that there's been, you know, uh, Congresswoman Fishbach is not in any trouble. She, she you know, beat Colin Peterson, uh, which was a great victory on the, in the Republican side, a big win. You know, there's always going to be some inter, inter-party contests, and this is one that's kind of festered up. I, I have no concern that she's vulnerable in the, in the endorsement process or vulnerable in, in, the, in the general election. Uh, great organization, great farm team, uh, great development team up there that are just you know working with the activists and stuff. But that's a good conservative district for Republicans, and so it's not surprising. Uh, you know, the de- there are mem- you know, uh, for example, you know, Congresswoman Omar has has got a couple challengers running against her. In, in, in you know these types of in, in these types of strong partisan races where there's one political party that has a real strong kind of good position on the seat. You sometimes see these inter-party challenges that happen, but I, I think it's it's not a significant challenge to uh, to Fishbach. I think she's got a great organization, great political team, and you know um, I think she's in a very strong position both to get endorsed and to win the general election. And as we you know you you may have discussed on another show, but she and four members of Minnesota's congressional delegation just came out in in support of Donald Trump's candidacy for presidency. I think that just looking at the map politically in the state and knowing a lot of the Republican activists, 7th Congressional District is a strong Trump district. It's a strong area of the state for his camp, his former his campaign and what's going on right now. And so I think she's aligned herself in, in a good position to uh, be endorsed quite handily and win her seat uh, for re-election. Oh, it was a profile encouraged watching Tom Emmer make that endorsement after Trump torpedoed his speaker bit. So, yeah, it's yeah, profile encouraged from Tom Emmer. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and I get it. The guy's going ultra MAGA. I still don't think it's going to be enough to knock off Fishbach up there. So we'll talk more politics. Uh, we'll talk more politics throughout the year for sure. Uh, Michael Broadcourt. Michael, as always, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next Friday. Sounds great. I hope we'll be in good spirits. We'll talk soon. Talk to you soon. Uh, We'll take a break. Come on back. Some music on a Friday. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. (laughs) No worries, man. No worries. Patrick in there uh, getting my music ready to go because I got to get some dancing going on here uh, before things go too well. Can I just one quick thing here before we get out of the show for this week? Remember yesterday, Dr. Joe, go get vaccinated. Go get your vaccinations. Go get your flu. Go get your COVID. Go get them. I don't want you sick. I don't want you dead. I don't want you in a lifetime of debt. I want you to be okay. If I had to go back to that statement, I'll go back to that statement. But get vaccinated, all right? All right. Friday music is ever clear. Uh, we are going out with this. Have a fantastic weekend. We are going to be back here on a Monday. Native Roots Radio is up next. Until Monday, see ya. See ya.